Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in with his legs. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. Plenty to discuss on what's been another, well, another interesting day down down Pataudry Street. Um, we found out that, and yet again, under the stewardship of Dave Cormack, that we have sacked another manager. Barry Robson has lost his job as AFC manager. So, uh, to help me pick the bones out of today's today's decision and the past few weeks and months. As always, uh, firstly joined by Martin Ingram. How are you, Martin? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Um, it'll be yeah interesting to see what direction the, the next hour or so takes in terms of this particular conversation, but uh, looking forward to it. Definitely. And also joining us is uh, Richard Hay. Now, Richard, you know, much in, in, in another JFK-style moment, where were you when you heard the news? Well, firstly, very excited to be a part of this year's uh, sacking podcast. Uh, they come around so quickly these days. Obviously, I was hanging around outside the uh, ticket office of Pataudry, hoping to get interviewed by BBC News. I did wonder when you were going to be going down to pick up your DNA pack. I just didn't notice today, so good luck. Enjoy your headphones, Richard. Um, so, yeah, so move on. As we said, Barry Robson's lost his job as Aberdeen manager today. Um this, I mean, this Richard. This followed a two-nil defeat at Tynecastle and a one-one draw. Obviously, last night's one-one draw at home at Dundee. But these aren't the results of cost the manager his job, are they? I mean, I know we've had a winter, winter break, but and I know hindsight is twenty twenty. But um, this this could have, decision could have been made probably at any day post the St Mirren defeat at home, couldn't have it. Well, you say that the last two results haven't cost the manager his job, but you know, equally, I think if he'd won either of those games, he probably still would be in a job. Um, the Hearts performance was good for 35-40 minutes, very good for about 15-20 minutes. Actually, it looked like the sort of Aberdeen team you want to watch and hope that would actually uh, um, perform at venues like Tynecastle, you know, we were combative, we were winning the midfield battle, um, we were a little bit inexact with the final ball and, um, you know, not very precise and clearly, obviously, we needed to make sure that we took the lead uh, when we had that good spell, but again, the reaction to going 1-0 down, in fact, not just that, the reaction in the second half, the way that we came out in that second half and allowed Hearts to completely dominate that game, it felt like one side at half time had been told, This isn't anything like good enough, you have to go out and you have to gain control of this match. And the other side had been told, Yeah, this is fine, this is good, despite the fact it was still nil nil. So, whilst it was positive, it was you just felt that 
we were satisfied at 0-0, which, you know, as an Aberdeen <clears throat> team, clearly, we shouldn't be satisfied in that situation. There shouldn't be an expectation of going to a place like Tencastle and winning, because budget-wise, we're in the same ballpark as Hearts, and clearly our re- recent record is there, there is so bad to the point where, on last week's podcast, you know, I said, we're not going to win. It, even if I've seen pretty good Aberdeen teams lose there, play well and lose there, I've seen pretty good Aberdeen teams play badly and lose there. I've seen average Aberdeen teams play there and lose. I've seen shit Aberdeen teams play there and lose. We just lose there. It just appears to be the way of things. But the nature of the way in which we lost clearly contributed to a narrative of a manager and, in fact, a team unable, really, to change the tide of events that went against them. Even then, and on Tuesday, I I thought, you know, if he gets a win here tonight, I still think he gets he gets more time. He gets a few more days, if only to absorb the blow of what would almost certainly be two defeats in the next couple of league games um, at Petodre against Celtic and down at Ibrox next midweek, so that someone coming in can get the fresh start of uh, the cup tie at home, hopefully a winnable cup tie, and then into a slightly more promising run of league fixtures. But again, despite being gifted, should we say, uh, a winning position from uh, a reckless penalty kick. More of a penalty kick this time than the one which St Johnston conceded the week before, obviously. Again, you have a story of a team coming out second half, and it lasted a little bit longer this time. It was probably 10-15 minutes into that second half. The catalyst there seemed actually to be our disallowed, the disallowed goal um, that uh, Esther Sockler put in. Because from that moment on, Dundee really took a grip of that game. They had been passing it about pretty nicely and doing things at a much quicker, better pace than we had all night. But they were a bit blunt. Um, but of course, they got the reward from, from a corner, the second successive corner. Um, you know, it actually turned to... My mate who was there last night after the first one, which was taken short. And I was like, have they actually watched any of our recent games? Get it right in on top of our keeper and you've got a chance of scoring. What happens 30 seconds later? Well, um, we all know what happened 30 seconds later. Uh, and yeah, just the, again, the response to that, the response to that happening, directionless. Absolutely directionless. Despite the fact it was such a poor showing, despite the fact we basically got played off the pitch by Dundee team, Albeit it was only a draw. It's still not in the sort of bottom five, bottom eight performances in the league this season because there have been so many displays that really have fallen so, so, so far short of the standard that we need. So it was as much as I think that this is quick, because it is quick. It's what, 36 league games? It's just over one year. And I do think there's something about the nature of football, the short-termism, <clears throat> this um, need for change, need for chaos in some people's minds. I think there's a lot about the culture of modern football which is um, part of this decision and part of the mindset of your typical Aberdeen supporter right now, your typical football supporter right now. It, it was increasingly difficult, almost impossible, to make a case that this was a football team that was improving and getting better under the current man, uh, under the Barry Robson. Uh, Martin, I think Richard makes a really good point there. I mean, you know, Saturday and last night aren't by by any stretch of the imagination the worst performances of the season. So is it is it just maybe that these two games there's been the, the lack of the lack of reaction, the lack of any sort of 
I don't, I don't know if improvement's the right word, but you know we've lost we've lost games and we've lost games in pretty shocking fashion this season. Um, to not obviously the board, and let's be honest, that's Dave Cormack. I've I've looked at that and said felt that they maybe can't they can't see this uh, an up, an upturn coming. So this is why the decision's been made. Yeah, I mean, obviously we are not in the minds of the football management board in relation to what they were taking into account. But I think the most likely factor that they would have started taking into account is obviously, first of all, the the results on the field and what that's going to mean for us. Um, I think I've tried for the most part to be on the fence in relation to what the, the future might hold for Barry Robson, which is an ideal position to take for somebody on a podcast. Um, but, you know, I think as with the, the, the previous two uh, managerial failures as they ended up turning out, I think most people have gone into these appointments with the the the, the best will in the world wanting the the manager to succeed because they want the club to succeed and they want us to be successful um the 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 one thing which had always factored in barry robson's favor as opposed to the previous two incumbents was he at least had some demonstrable success in relation to turning the, the the team around at the tail end of last season and being able to um secure european group stage football um but um again that that was last season. This is now this season, and I think what the what the board or what the chairman have had to look at is, given where we are currently now in terms of the, the league campaign, and um, as 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 good as it's been to be in Europe and reach the, the group stages, and as well as we performed, relatively speaking, in the context of the opposition that we were up against in that competition, um, we we weren't you know setting setting the, the grass on fire well we certainly weren't setting it on fire in Helsinki given the temperatures but um you know they they, they were they were performances that I think were beyond the expectations insofar as I think <laughs> the expectations were so low I think going back to that first uh group stage match in Frankfurt I think everyone was genuinely fearful of a a god-awful spanking and that never arose but in reality it's it's where we want to be at that stage of european football but that in essence is a bonus that we get from what we've earned the previous season so nobody's disputing that i think the most concerning element was um reflecting from that the, the team and the performances we had at the tail end of last season um going through the incredibly sketchy performances throughout the course of the league campaign and it really was hit or miss in relation to whether you were going to get a good performance or something truly woeful and again we've gone over a number of those matches so far this season where the the level of performance has just been completely unacceptable and again that should be the, the bare minimum you should be expecting from this group of players and and um, particularly in comparison with you know we, we, we should be considering ourselves the third best team in the league and at the, at the very least we should be comfortably in the top six and, and, and battling with the you know at this present time a, a hearts or something for that third place spot and we're we're, we're 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 a long way off that um i know this account shared the respective point tallies um that barry robson's team has achieved this season with regards to previous seasons it is quite comfortably the worst 
and perhaps more concerning in relation to looking at when we come to discussing what the what course of action needs to be followed going forward it's as concerning i think that it has been a trend um from the tail end in the dip in performances that Derek McInnes had at the tail end of his season and going right the way through we've consistently been producing a lower and lower point yield and seemingly worse and worse league performances year on year. So it's in one way, I know Richard alluded at the start that we're kind of, you know, funnily, I was going to say it's a bit of a groundhog day. Funnily enough, if they'd, if, if, if they'd held off on that sacking a couple of days, it literally would have been groundhog day. So there is an aspect in one, in one respect that we're kind of reliving the same thing again from previous seasons. But if anything, the, 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 the level of achievement in the league has actually got gradually worse season upon season. The amount of frustration and disgruntlement, I think, has grown. And again, that may just be a nature of the, the social media world that we, 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 we live in. And that, that, that is where we more and more vociferously uh, put our, 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 our thoughts across. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it just wasn't good football. Um, I said the, la- the last, the last, kind of kernel of hope that I had in relation to this team was when I went along to the Dingwall, the, the, the game in Dingwall against Ross County. Really good performance, 3-0 win, and I thought, yeah, we've actually, he's actually shown he's been able to go to maybe not a difficult place to get a result at that particular time. Park Thistle showed that in the Cup not long afterwards, so maybe, maybe a lot of that was something of a false dawn. But for me, I'd even go, as I have said before, I'd even go back as far back as the Clyde result. Um, a, a good enough performance to get a win against a team which is bottom of the SPFL, but really slow, ponderous, bereft of creativity. And I think that's shown that, okay, you can get away with that and get a comfortable 2-0 win against um, uh, uh, opposition three tiers lower down the rung. Um, but it was a similar situation in relation to the St. Johnston game, the Hearts game, and, and, and Dundee. And each one of them seemed to go hand in hand with listless performances from the club um it was interesting i was listening to the sports scene team on, on, my, on my way home when i was walking home and um i think some some of them were referring to what a difference it was from the kind of just 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 even the engagement from the players within the squad where you had a, a, a group of guys that you i remember visibly seeing people you know defenders give it fist pumps whenever they were managing to clear a ball off a line or, 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 or get a defensive chore in and there was a real dedication and effort that was coming from the players that just does not seem to be apparent there anymore and I, and I do wonder whether Barry Robson great as a maybe great as a coach and, and, and great in terms of getting that kind of immediate kind of motivation and man management with players to fire them up and get that going but that you can't maintain that for months after months after month. That's fine when you want to get a bounce for a run of games and get a reaction out of players. But I think there comes a point where what he was probably finding is once once Plan A has become found out from other managers in the league, and you can't just send another rock up your players at halftime and hope that you'll keep on getting performances. And I wonder, I wonder whether it just that that had just worn thin amongst the the players and and ultimately the board as well. Yeah, I, I think that's pure speculation that suggests that it's, um, <clears throat> that any success was purely down to motivation. The success was down to getting his best two performing players from last season, the best two performing players that we have, that we had, on the park at the same time, and finding a system that maximised what they can do, and hence the birth of the three-five-two, and that was therefore what we pinned a lot of our hopes on, was that was that formation and clearly a lot of the squad building as well this season so 
we come into this season and basically one part of that equation, frankly, isn't functioning nearly as well as he did last season. So you have Lopez, who is... He's not... He's not gone completely, but it's been everything has been so much of a chore for him. And I think, you know, in terms of morale with, within the team, which was something that Barry was very, very good at engendering from a very low starting point last season, um, you know, I think that's had an impact. I think you, you've had players within that squad who have not reacted well to losing their position or, or, or not getting the game time that they think they're worth. And that's exacerbated some issues. And um, yeah, it's, getting everybody pulling in the same direction can be very, very difficult. Um, and the way in which he managed that, the way in which he turned that around, last season. I still don't believe we give him enough credit for that, by the way, uh, because it was properly miraculous to go from the point where we're um, losing at Darville, taking 11 of the two Edinburgh clubs within a week, to knocking off seven wins in a row and five clean sheets in a row with that team. Uh, he massively overperformed last season and created a bit of a rod for his own back, frankly, this season as well. You know, if you'd had somebody external come in just steady the ship to give it the Craig Brown um, stuff. Why does Craig Brown always get credit for, for leaving a good platform for Derek McInnes? Does Steve Patterson ever get credit for leaving a good platform of players for Jimmy Calderwood? Anyway, that's beside the, uh, that's by the by. Um, to not be able to, to take that on to this season, I think as well we underestimate some of the departures. Now clearly Ramadani's had... Um, a lot of a lot of chat about him and, and the failure to properly replace him in terms of the way in which we played football last season, which was to have those two defensive midfielders acting essentially as a shield for Jaden uh, for Leighton Clarkson, and Clarkson's still able to connect with Bojan Miofsky. In many respects, the most important combination last season wasn't necessarily Lopez and Miofsky because we talked about how they didn't really combine; that they really worked uh, almost as solo strikers, but you had two very different threats working in that. Team team but the most important combination was Clarkson and Majofsky and the failure to actually get that combination working again this season has probably been the single biggest tactical failure in 23-24. In terms of departures a player that doesn't actually get a mention probably because again we've underestimated his impact on the squad is Ross McCrory and that, that was a big loss and that has turned out to be a big loss there was someone who was broadly available most weeks unless of course he had a medical at uh, Bristol City to get fit for um, and was um, a reliable performer and someone who as we spoke about last week somebody that could actually have that vers versatility within the squad and allow you to change shape within a match if need be. Um, so I think those were two important players that we lost in the summer. Maybe not enough has been said about that. You know, if I look back now, for example, at Derek McInnes's last season, I can see how that was kind of torpedoed by the loss of both Scott McKenna and his main scoring threat in Sam Cosgrove. Um, so this season, you've had Luis Lopez going off form, You've had a loss of some very important players and you've had the replacements come in who frankly haven't reached any sort of real standard, particularly the defenders at the back. Those that have been selected ahead of um, Angus MacDonald haven't impressed. Failure to 
get a get Matty Pollock back. You've spoken probably too much about him specifically on this podcast, but his replacement in terms of uh, Slobodan Rubicic has taken, to be generous, a lot longer to get up to speed with this league uh, and contribute to a number of errors. Now, Matty Pollock was far from flawless and far from a perfect defender, but he, he was the sort of player that really fitted this league very well. He knew the limit of the physicality you could get away with here. He wasn't Averse to making mistakes? Absolutely not. But there wasn't quite the same level of naivety. And again, that's another important player towards the end of last season that we missed out on. So uh, there are footballing factors. I don't think it just comes down to, oh, Barry Robson couldn't coach very well, or Barry Robson was fully reliant on shouting at his players or, or trying to motivate him that way. I think there were clear foot reasons which partly... Partly you could put some of this down to coaching. You know, the failure to get that Clarkson-Marovsky partnership working again, is that coaching? Is it coaching that uh, Luis Lopez hasn't recovered the form that he showed under the manager last season? I, I just think it's a little bit shallow to put it all down to motivation. A little bit disappointed I didn't get the chance to hit you with a Craig Brown zinger there, Richard, because I know you always you always like to react to it. So... Um... I was also going to say that I think there were at least some tangible things that Craig Brown left, if nothing else, specifically Niall McGinn, Johnny Hayes and Mark Reynolds that um, you could point to, which um, I think were maybe a little bit bereft of uh, equivalents under the Stevie Patterson reign. But <laughs> Definitely. Well, you I... had... No, 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 no. I'm not letting this go. You had Michael Hart, <laughs> you had Steve Tosh, you had uh, Xander Diamond being blooded by him. No, and that's in a much shorter time frame. Without anything like the comparable budget that uh, Craig Brown was given when he moved from Motherwell, so no. M- Michael Hart, for me, his 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 greatest uh, achievement is being the first face on the Aberdeen Monopoly board. Um, if that's not club legend status, I don't know what it is. Like, let's not let's not get Richard riled up, Martin, because <laughs> you know, if trust me, I've been in a room when I've when when I've, somebody's dropped the Craig Brown bomb at him, and it's it's not a pretty sight. So we'll move on. Um, Rest in peace. Yes. Um, Martin Richard also, Richard also mentioned some of the you know the the bodies the bodies that have gone out there you know, quite rightly McCrory Ramadani two you know, two very talented players McCrory's McCrory's you know, flexibility was is obviously something that you miss uh, I would imagine two, both two quite very big personalities in the dressing room um, that that obviously an issue is is, is some of the recruitment obviously hasn't uh, I don't think has hasn't been good enough I think we can say we can say that um you know is there is there is there a mitigating factor that that, that would maybe you know I'm not making it I'm not one to make an excuse for for Barry Robson at all um obviously we know that Darren Mowbray had left for Southampton uh, but there should have been a but there should have been a succession plan um there or there should have been targets targets you know, identified for going forward um either way um some of the some of the recruitments that, that that's been made, and obviously we touched on it a bit last week because we saw Ordadi and Reese Williams going out the door. Uh, but some of the bodies that have came in um, to replace what's gone out um, re- really simply haven't been good enough. Yeah, I mean, to start with, there's obviously always mitigation when it comes to situations like that. And again, I I, I don't think that. Richard's necessary in the same camp as me in this particular view. The, I, I, th- I, th- I think the combination of Ross McCrory having departed the club quickly followed by uh, Ilbar Ramadani is that if we'd 
even been able to keep. So, so obviously, I had the 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 the, the, the uh, recruitment that had been undertaken up until the very kind of tail end of the transfer window probably had it in mind that we were still going to be retaining Ramadani because, and I can only assume that because we didn't really go out and proactively recruit a like-for-like replacement for him in the way that I think we may have done with the likes of Esther Sockler. I, I get the feeling he was brought in, and again, he. he I, I think the, the thinking at that time was we're not entirely sure if we're going to be able to keep Boyan Mijavski or, or, or Duke longer term, and I think that's the same with Papa Habib Gay. I think the idea was let's get additional players in tow just in case we lose them. We ended up, you know, Certainly in relation to Mijowski's, uh contribution, very fortunately we were in a situation where we were able to hold on to him, but it hasn't really worked out well for those guys that have come in because it just hasn't really been a huge amount of opportunity for them to play. In in midfield, I think it's been exactly the opposite because with Ross McCrory having, we knew he was departing pretty early on, but at that point we were deploying him in that right, or, 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 or Robson was deploying him in that uh, right wing back slot and having recruited Nicky Devlin while... You could have a debate over which of those two players you think is a better player because I think fundamentally I I would suggest McCrory is mar- marginally a better standard of player than than, than what Nicky Devlin is but Nicky Devlin is far more suited he's more naturally suited to play in that in that role and my own view which is the bit that I don't think Richard agrees with is I actually think I would have much preferred him in that Ramadani position in midfield. And he just didn't get the opportunity to do that previously because of the fact that Ramadani was in the squad and he he obviously quite rightly got the nod over over him on on, on merit. So it's it's just one of those unfortunate things that had timings kind of happened differently, then that might not have been an issue. But it's only mitigation to a certain extent because we still have a a, a real wealth of talent in the midfield ranks because you're still being able to pick a midfield out of again we'd identified Graham Shinney's return as captain at the tail end of the season being critical. Uh, I think we all agree Leighton Clarkson is fundamentally an incredibly talented footballer when he, we're in a position where we can deploy him to the, the best of his abilities. Uh, Connor Barron, when he's been given the opportunity, has been absolutely fantastic. And if anything, you could have thrown that cliched, it's like a new signing when we got uh, Dante Polvara back. And I think, um, I still don't think he's the, the finished article, but um, I think quite often he's produced very heartening performances for his age and stage. So to, 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 to make on as if the loss of one player, and I do sympathize from the Ramadani perspective because it happened so late in the window that I just don't think we had an opportunity to react. But it's not as if, and I think we've all agreed in this podcast, the standard, the general standard of player that we've had within the squad has been good enough to expect better results in the league than what we've had so far. And so coming back to that aspect and of, um, again, I've, I've, been, I've been immediately characterised as, as suggesting that the only issue here was that players aren't motivated anymore. There's obviously a, a number of other factors other than that. But it's, it's interesting how we managed to get uh, such a motivated group of players before then and then all of a sudden because one or one or two players are no longer available to us on a match day squad all, all, all of a sudden it's all gone to pot now that's not that's not necessarily a motivation issue purely but there's obviously a coaching element to that as well in terms of um if a if a if a coach or a manager has found themselves in a situation where they want to play a certain formation but the players that they have at their disposal no longer no longer merits that they could utilize that and i think there's also an element in relation to like we've discussed on this podcast as well someone like graham shinney it may have become unrealistic to have expected him to perform the particular function that he did with the team at the tail end of the last season that we were at times 
looking for him to do right now. And I think that's why we then progressed laterally towards that, back to that kind of 4-5-1 system to get more support within midfield to compensate for the fact that Graham, Graham Shinney doesn't necessarily have the 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 the, the legs or the or the pace again and there was a few occasions in in recent games maybe even just that speed of thought on the ball there's been a number of times now where you've seen him perhaps laborious on the ball and being caught by nippier harassing midfielders in midfield so at that point that is when you're expecting and again it was a similar issue I leveraged with Jim Goodwin from almost day one when it's all fine and well saying, oh, I don't, I no longer have exactly the right players in order to be able to implement the way that I want to play. But surely, surely, an aspect of a, of a, of a coach or a manager at this top level is making whatever necessary adjust, adjustments you need to make in order to get a, a functioning football team with the resources that you have at, the, at their disposal. And even though we're not necessarily enamoured by, again, I've, I've had my, my views in relation to Slobodan Rubicic, um uh, I, I would agree that I'm, I, I'm not necessarily sure uh, the likes of Stefan Garterman and Richard Jensen are particularly any greater uh, than than what we'd had in beforehand. But I think they're of a level. I think somebody had used the Liam Scales analogy, where I think it's exactly the it's exactly the kind of defenders where if they're if they're in a group of defenders who are all struggling, then it can look an awful lot worse than if you're able to couple them with. A better defender, I think, in a better defence with, with with aligned with better defenders, I think they would all do fine. Um, but we've just never landed. Upon yeah, that. we don't have the better defender, so we need to get that better defender in the building. I mean, these they, they are the make weights at the back. None of them are leaders in the way, and there's an absolute argument that you should have been using Angus McDonald more completely. He started the season injured, and I think that's put him behind the eight ball in terms of selection. I think there's been an element of selection as well that's deliberately looking towards the future in terms of not wishing to play Connor Barron every week because of his contractual situation, like in, in you know playing Rubicic ahead of McDonald as there's a saleable asset that you're hoping to develop. So, but isn't that incumbent on the manager as well? Because I think that's been the most baffling thing in the whole in the whole uh, season is a reluctance to rely upon players like Angus McDonald and Connor Barron, who at previous points in his career was actually guys that Barry had brought into the team himself and had seen the the, the results of it. I, I don't understand, other than if there's been some kind of... And again, there's maybe more understandable with the Conor Barron situation, but to have had players... It's, it's not just inheriting a group of players that he's having to make do with. They, they, they were players that he either brought in or, or he championed. It's, it's baffling. I mean, well, Richard, the, the Barron one um, is something that, as I think, is, today do, it does divide, divide opinion. Um Obviously, it looks like he's not. He, you know, there's a contract been put on the table, then it was taken off the table. And apparently, there's been another one offered. You know, it looks especially like he isn't going to be re-signing, and he's going to be leaving probably at the end of the season um, or tonight, tomorrow. Um, but surely, when a team is, if a team's struggling, and you've got a player like him who is, you know, got lots of ability, got lots of legs, you can see, you know. Sh- as Martin mentioned, Graham Shinney, you know, he's, you know the legs aren't quite what they were. We should be, we should be using this, uh, using this. And you know, you say about you know developing saleable assets. Just, just play, surely it's just as simple as you know, play your best players, obviously within the system that 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 fits for them. But instead, for example, last night, Connor Barron just sitting getting splinters on his arse when we we were 
I think we're crying out for some someone with a bit of pace in the middle of the park towards the end of that game. Um, yeah, I mean, Connor Barron, I think, suffered this season as a result of having missed most of the tail end of last season through injury. So, um, obviously, the, the sort of midfield that um, finished most of that season was it was a threesome of Shinny Ramadani and Clarkson. So you you had the two um, sort of defensive midfielders with those with those roles. So basically, the replacement for Ramadani, who benefited most at the outset of this season, was. Uh, Dante Polvara. Now, Polvara's come on nicely um, and he's been really, really effective in European games. He, he, he looks really much at home uh, in that scenario, but I'm not sure domestically we're quite getting enough out of Polvara to justify the, the amount of minutes that he's been getting ahead of ahead of Barron. But I think that that was the reason why certainly at the outset of the season that we... Um, that the option was to to stick with to go with Pulvara ahead of Baron as much as uh, any question marks about his contractual situation. As we've moved into the season, I mean he's he's sitting on around about forty percent of the minutes. I mean he's it's not as if every single time he's come into the team he's been you know mesmeric and brilliant. He's put in some good performances and he's put in some like much like with the team as a whole he's put in some performances where he's been part of a team performance that stunk the place out so um i think in the background you've always got that scenario the fact that and we don't know the full the full detail behind this but you've got the scenario that he's clearly not signing a new contract and he's moving on and that's been clear for frankly around about 15 months now because the club wouldn't have really let him get into the last 18 months of his deal for a young saleable asset like that so I think as a manager it is incumbent to be not just always thinking about the short term but trying to look towards the future and I think it's all because I think there's been an element I think there's definitely been an element of that with the Rubizic selection ahead of McDonald um and early in the season, he probably thought he had leeway to do that. You know, he probably thought he was secure enough in his post that he could make these longer-term decisions. He could play the he could play the younger, inexperienced centre half as opposed to the the old guy with fitness concerns. He could play the young centre midfielder, recently tied up in an extended long-term deal, rather than maybe the slightly more talented one who wasn't going to sign a new contract. So I think these were. Uh, I look at them rationally as being long term, longer term, medium term decisions, as opposed to the short short termism which we love as football fans, and which over the past few weeks and months, I think he's had to resort more to. So, Martin, in the in the short term, obviously Barry Barry Robson has carried the can for can for this, um, and in the immediate aftermath, of course, that's what's going to happen. Um, there's more to this, though, isn't there? Um, there's 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 perhaps we've got obviously issues with I think you know, fans certainly have some issues with the board um, we've seen you know questions over the you know the way the structure is um, which I don't want to obviously dig too deep into, into doing it because we've, we have spoken about in the past quite a bit um, but in terms of you know this you know nonsense kind of football monitoring board thing which really is just it's Dave Cormack and then it's people other people with with some jobs um, but we obviously have Stephen, uh, yeah, Stephen Gunn, Alan Burrows, and Willie Garner, who who are not supposedly part part of this whole um, board, if you want to call it that. Um, is there some? Is there an issue where uh, no 
we've employed employed Barry Robson now, it's not worked. We've employed Jim Goodwin, it's not worked. Um, the experiment of Stephen Glass um, disastrously didn't work. Um, ha, there's going to be a lot of pressure now. Um, now whether they whether they get a new manager in or they you know pronto or whether they wait to the, they get somebody in short term and get then reevaluate at the end of the season or at the end of the season get the man they want. But the pressure now is really going to be on Cormac to get this right this time, isn't it? Well, we say that because we'll have been in the same boat when we were talking about this last year and the year before that, because I think it's always the media narrative of, well, this time round, they're absolutely going to have to get this right. And then 12 months later, we find we haven't got that right and we say exactly the same things again. So, um, you know, unless unless something utterly catastrophic happens to the club, I, I dare say that the club... Um, would would survive with yet another mistaken appointment if that's what it comes to, but it's not exactly the kind of uh, uh, desirable way forward for a club to uh, undertake its operation. Um, I I think we we we've spoken about this beforehand, so it's not being wise after the event that what you have to do is get the structure within the board and with, with within the club correct first and then look to be appointing a manager or a coach which aligns with the structure that you have in place. Um, and I think it's been touched upon earlier here. I don't, I don't know to what extent um, Dave Cormack still ultimately calls the shots in relation to uh, the football operation side of things, but I think there's, there's always been question marks around Stephen Gunn's position as director of football and to what extent he's... he's you know, performing in that role or indeed being allowed to perform. Um, I was one of the, and I would still remain in this camp. I was really pleased at the appointment of Alan Burrows when he came to the club. But in reality, he's he's in, and again, we've talked about this before, he's in that role as that CEO of the club. And he's really the person who is effectively in charge, given the fact that Dave Cormack, for a lot of his time is is living his life in Atlanta and doing, doing his business there. So he's more the kind of, um, well, I say the kind of he is lit- literally the, the, the chief executive officer who's looking after those side of things, and in that in, in that respect, I think he does a very good job in that regard. But um, yeah, uh, it, if we're ever going to be serious about adopting that genuine division of labour between what's going on with the club on one side and what's going on with the football operations on the other, this is the time to do it. And if we were genuinely going about that process, I'd much rather. We, we did that process and you know we need to be blunt with it with with ourselves as supporters are we because I, I would be real realistic enough to say if if the club said that that is a structure that we're looking to put into place and it, it may require bringing another interim coach in 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 place for the rest of the season until such times we get that part of the structure right and then we'll look to appoint someone that fits that model further down the line I, I, I think in principle I would be I would be more supportive of that as an as an approach if the long term benefits of that were, were were going to happen. But you know the reality is we're we're all incredibly fickle, aren't we? That that will that will wash for as long as we don't lose two games in a row, and then it will suddenly be, you know, what's going on? It's directionless, it's rudderless, you know, in spectre of relegation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. You know, I think as we as supporters need to have a proper look at ourselves as in, in terms of what, what are we genuinely wanting 
out of this? Are we are we willing to accept that a period of transition for that to take effect, or are we realistically in a position as we always are that at the end of the day it's about results on the park? And in 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 which case you really do need to be careful for what you wish for because I'm not not going to go into the reopening of old wounds. I but we have had we have had managers in the past the likes of uh, Derek McInnes or Jimmy Calderwood before that, who with the resources they had available to him were, 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 were getting regular performances and achievements in terms of league position within the club. But ultimately we ended up uh, moving away from them because effectively we were getting the results that were required. I mean, Jimmy Calderwood had literally just qualified us for Europe before he got his marching orders, but it really came from a disgruntlement amongst the support base in relation to the, 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 the performances on the park and, and the entertainment value. So, um, and, and in reality, when you look back in history of any club, how, how often has the, the, the results and the entertainment factor married perfectly that everybody's happy, very, very rarely. So, yeah, um, I've taken a question about uh, the structure of the club and 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 converted into what the what realistic supporter expectations need to be. But um, yeah, I think I I was I would personally be willing to bear uh, maybe sixty six to eighteen months of transitional pain if I felt there was a, a genuine uh, change in, in in approach further up the further up the chain. No, you wouldn't. Uh, anyway, um, the Calderwood comparison is quite an interesting one because the managerial record overall that uh, Barry Robson's most closely resembles um, in a raw uh, games won, games lost fashion is actually Jimmy Calderwood. And, you know, there is <laughs> there is the fact also that both of them looked quite strangely more at home on the European stage than uh, they did uh, domestically at times. Um, but that's just an aside. I, I think it's quite indicative as well as sort of how things have really accelerated since Jimmy Calderwood's period. There were long runs under Calderwood where things looked like they would not get better and then suddenly the team seemed to click and he maybe put six, seven game um, winning run together. There's famously, of course, um, and this came after Queen of the South in his final season, the, the shelf life comment after getting, I think he beat Celtic and then um, drew oh, with the now defunct game, Rangers think, yeah. at home uh, in successive uh, weekends. Uh, and then after that, won about two games for the rest of the season, including yet another cup exit to a lower league team. So uh, there's certainly a story to be told there about the way in which expectations have. Um, it's not even expectations, is it? It's it's just about this this modern football need that three, two bad games in a row become an automatic crisis. You know, we have a constant drip feed of the best leagues in the world that we can see at any time. We have, and we're not even seeing the whole games. You know, we're seeing the clips, we're seeing the best bits, we're seeing the viral moments. Everything's being condensed down. We don't want to have to sit through the dirge, the turgid stuff. Now, typically, in my 40-odd years of going to Pitaudry, you know, I can remember maybe two games a season. It won't even be games. There'll be moments in those games because broadly the pattern is you'll sit through a lot of dross and the rewards are those moments that you'll never forget. Never forget. So for me, this season, equaliser in Gothenburg, for example, the scoring... uh, 
in the Waldstadion in, in Frankfurt. Those are the moments that you live for. And that's, you know, I recalibrated a while ago. I was fortunate enough, or obviously, to be old enough to, to have memories and to have witnessed the great Aberdeen side. But now we're talking about a team that, um, well, in our history, we have won, we've reached 34 cup finals, 34 of them. But the thing is, 18 of them were in a 20-year spell between 1976 and 1995. So for us to get so dismissive, and it's not success, I'm not calling that success, but for us to be so dismissive about the very act of reaching a cup final this season. Bear in mind, if you're under 30, you probably remember Aberdeen reaching four finals before this year. Four cup finals if you're under 30. Uh, it's the general level of performance of this club out with that sort of golden 15-year period in and around the Fergie era has been round about where we are now. And I think a lot of our support, probably, and a lot of football supporters full stop, aren't probably equipped, and we're to blame as well, obviously. I, talk, I touched upon this last week, the endless over-analysis of these, of these moments and the... Um, the need that every single second of our waking life need to be consumed with some sort of football content constantly in social media, constantly refreshing content, content, content. But I'm not sure if many of us are actually equipped to deal with supporting what is a side which is hugely outgunned in a third-rate league on the outskirts of Europe. Because that's what we are and that's been the case now for coming up to 40 years. You know, but I don't I don't quite have the same negativity about it as we've seen displayed. I, I, I think it was at the Red Point of View blog tweeted about how, how it's terrible and how it's miserable. I've come to terms with it. I You know, I qualifying for Europe, getting into those group stages, there's an attraction for me. It's different. It's being about the social side going to games for me for so long, you want your team to be successful, you want your team to do well, but you have to realise that in modern football, success is largely going to be based on what you can afford to pay for. And in Scottish terms, we're miles off success because we're miles off what the top two can pay for. So, eh, so Martin... <sighs> We find on now we find we find ourselves without a manager. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the the thing where I'm gonna put you on the spot um, and ask you to come up with some name because you know we've seen we've we've seen you know, so many names crop up today. Uh, we see the list of, the list of you know bookies coming up with a pile of, pile of names that almost all of them don't inspire any confidence. Um, I'm not gonna ask you to give me a name. But I'm just gonna ask you where do we go next. Well, that's the big question. I think it would be fantastic if we could ask that question of Dave Cormack and the and and and, and the club, because the one thing that I would genuinely like to know it, it may well become clearer in days to come. But I I wonder whether there has been any kind of strategic thinking in terms of what the next step would be, or has this been uh, essentially just another knee jerk reaction to the, the, the kind of um, uh, maybe maybe not the majority to support, but clearly a very vocal or at least amplified element of the sport. Where I mean, there's, when you look back, and there's a number of people that have been effectively been wanting Barry Robson out since kind of November time of last year, um, and 
Richard made really good points in relation to that. I, I don't know if the, the expectations of all of us in that regard are necessarily realistic, but it's certainly something that the, 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 the club have to take cognizance of because one of the aspects that was that's been flagged up, obviously, is um, once you once you hear statements from people, and again, it may well be idle threats, but once you talk about people saying that they're not going to be bothered coming back to watch that that standard of football or, 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 or the team under that manager, that's when it hits into... The, the the pockets and um, if if there's any kind of credence to, to that being the case then you probably are in a situation where you have to react now rather than later um, so in in terms of what we what we have have going forward I mean goodness knows the the one the one area where I thought that, that I thought might have provided Barry Robson a bit more of or a, or a bit of a longer leash notwithstanding uh, the 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 tangible success that he'd had at the start of his spell, certainly in relation to the the, the interim stint of that, um, was the fact that I don't think I still don't think there is a, an enormously attractive selection of managers either domestically or currently out of work. Other other than obviously, again, I think we've all seen the kind of shouts of uh, spottings of Jose Mourinho and uh, the likes in in in, in Aberdeen. Um, but in terms of realistic options. Um, my, 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 my real concern is that some of the some of the kind of cliched names start circling around again and really like if it were to be like a Neil Lennon or a Robbie Nielsen who to my mind is no better than what we would have had with Derek McInnes in the first place then for me it, that would just be a backward step um, but but who would be a good appointment in relation to that I mean again there will undoubtedly be good options out there um, and I I don't. I also don't want to be the kind of fan that says, "Oh well, it's not my job to identify who the manager is," which is true. Um, but you know that that's where I'd like to know: has has there actually been has this been the culmination of a considered approach at board level to say, "Well, we're going to give Barry a few more months," and if it's genuinely not turning around, or, we, or if we don't have faith in him delivering the the long term aspirations of what we want to do at the club, we'll need to start making arrangements in, in place for a Plan B. Or have they simply just reacted to the fact that it hasn't turned around and we're now starting from square one? If if it's the latter, that would be incredibly disappointing. But um, the one other aspect, I'll, I'm, going to end, I'm going to end that with a question to you guys as well, because we've never really actually addressed this in the outset. Do do you guys agree that this was the correct time for Barry Robson to go? I, I, I did mention on social media yesterday, yesterday was the first time, and that was before the match, it was the first time where I genuinely had a feeling that if he didn't manage to get a result... It, it, it may well be the right time. The, the league performances really have been, while we're not expect again, there may be unrealistic expectations, but I think to for, for some of the levels of performance that we've seen throughout the season, I think it genuinely, at, at, at a domestic league level, has not been good enough. And, and in fairness, I mean, even if we were to turn around and miraculously got back-to-back wins against Celtic and Rangers, I mean, we're still, we're still on what? 30 points after 23 games and, and, and still in still in a dogfight. So, you know, there, there, there's there's a long way to come back in relation to that. But I actually wondered whether you guys actually agreed with the decision. I, I, I don't think you could argue for much else after last night in particular. May not have lost the game, but um, so far off it. So far, I mean, a side that should have been fighting fighting for that should have been absolutely aware of the situation and absolutely aware of the position and 
you know there was effort and there was endeavor but everything was was so ponderously slow in contrast to the way that you know a Dundee team who are who, who are well financed and well budgeted by their standards absolutely but nothing compared to the amount of money that we are spending and the of course the added layer of irony of that being a Tony Doherty side last night a guy who was our assistant manager and and you know we we chose to to remove and I'm not revisiting that that was the right decision at the time at the right time um you know done with regret obviously at the time and done with thanks for the work that they put in and similarly I think it's appropriate to say you know thank you to Barry for for coming through last season salvaging something from the wreckage of last season and more than just something something we strive for as a club for a long time and he was able to achieve it he was able to turn that situation around whether it was motivational, whether there was nothing at all, no, no tactical, um, no either. However, he managed it. He managed it, and it was it was genuinely an, an achievement, which I don't think we've given we gave him enough credit for at the time because the turnaround was remarkable from the depths of what we'd witnessed at the end of January. Um, with a squad, you know, it's, it's transfer deadline night tomorrow night, and of course transfer deadline night last year also came just on the back of us having sacked a manager and you know it felt like such a, a grab bag of signings to be bringing in Matty Pollock and Angus McDonald's who would later turn out to have been people that were identified by Jim Goodwin as it happens and not the not the recruitment team but you know it, it didn't feel at that point that those were two names that were going to have such a big impact on the second half of that season. Um, and of course, he's served this club for a long time as a player and a coach um, with the under 18. So I, I think it's right to, you know, to acknowledge his contribution to the club as a whole at this point and, and say thank you. It's it's not without sadness that, you know, for me anyway, that Barry Robson is leaving today. And the extent of, I think the extent of personal abuse that we've seen obviously towards him is something else which is a really loathsome part, particularly of social media um, and I would hopefully I would love to see the back of, but you know, clearly that's hand in hand with the territory of there, and it really makes me want to not have this horrible addiction to to Twitter. But there we are. Um, so I I don't I think it was increasingly difficult to to make a case to retain Barry Robson, um, based on some of the recent performances and more importantly the direction of performances uh, there was no suggestion that we were finding a way to play with this squad um, you know we can only hope that a new manager a new direction is able to do that um, I mean let me come back to the idea of who or what next I mean there will be a degree of forward planning being done. Absolutely, there'll be some. There'll be a list of names circulated. How up to date that list of name names are, um, how much background work has been done. That's a different story. Um, but sometimes events can overtake you. You know, you had, we had the situation last year. I don't think there was any hint that. Jim Goodwin was going to be sacked until Darville, and that was even after the five note time cast. So you could, you know, as horrific a result and performance as that was, I, I, I don't think anything was on the cards until Darville came came along and happened. And that even then, even then, we um, were hesitant to make that change to actually pull the trigger there. Um, but a result as seismic as that, it, 
sometimes the only reaction, the only sensible reaction that a club can make is, is to pull the trigger. And we belatedly eventually did, although it took another game as collateral damage off the back of that one for anything to happen. Um, last last night wasn't quite so dramatic and it's been a bit more of a drawn out process. So, it, so there will be, you'd have to be incredibly naive to think that there's not going, you'd have to have not just that, but an incredibly low opinion of the standards of professionalism within Bedordry to think that there's not a list of names. Now I think I'll pull out this hoary old chestnut again that I've probably used the last couple of times is that um, the each manager is a reaction to the to the subsequent uh, depart to the manager who's just left. So you know I think in this instance I I think we'll be we'll be heading towards a foreign manager based on that and and you know not too much else but I think that's how it goes and I think that's probably someone that's likelier to have to fit better with the model. Because I, don't, I think we have, with the last two appointments, probably moved away from the intentions of that model, which were, a, you know, a head coach who is used to dealing in that situation. So we had the appointment of Stephen Glass, which, we again, we have covered the ins and outs of, the, of that one and the, the cons and the merits of that in our time here. Um, so I'm not going to go back and revisit that. But I think we've probably moved slightly away from that model and appointing a more traditional manager type in Jim Goodwin because it was seen that we needed somebody with more SPFL experience. And I think last time out, as I say, it was blindsided. We weren't prepared. Therefore, you enter this vacuum. And within this vacuum, you create a situation where a caretaker manager can come in, go on the sort of run that Barry Robson did whilst you are believing that you're creating yourself time to pull together that shortlist and create the conditions for a significant long-term development. And you create, you know, which didn't seem a nightmare situation for you at the time, but has turned out to be a bit of that. You have a guy that came in who did incredibly well during the course of his caretaker period, but since then hasn't been able to replicate that at all. Um, I think there are more mitigating circumstances beyond just his coaching managerial style but ultimately the buck stops at Barry Robson and we allowed ourselves to get into that position it's almost as if it's no it's nobody's real fault I can I can see the chain of events that's landed us here but that's what I believe I think we'll be going back to someone who who more closely fits that initial model and I suspect it will be somebody from Europe and probably because of the um, availability, it being their close season, it being seen still as a step up, probably somebody from Scandinavia. I mean, well, Richard, yeah, I mean, there's been some, um, like I said, I'm not going to go through the names. There's been some, there's been some obviously interesting names thrown about today. There's a few, um, I think there's a thread going about a guy, Lee McDonald, put together a, a thread of, you know, um, Few few Scandinavian, few Eastern European managers, some interesting names um, that are on there. Um, it's just it's just a case of, as you say, it needs to be someone who's available, and it needs to be. I think it will need to be someone available. I'll put sorry, um, and you know, whether whether that's someone who comes in now or comes at the end of the season, um, you would you would you know, do you think my Person, obviously, we don't know because we don't have. We're not on the phone to Dave Cormack, and we don't have that the, the knowledge there. But would you would you see them going for somebody short term to get to the end of the season, or do you think, as you say about talking about this, the succession planning or the forward planning, do you think it would be a case of 
we'll have we'll have somebody in mind, or we'll have three or four guys in mind. Let's get them in for the interviews. I can see the attraction of, I mean, obviously there's been chat today about Neil Warnock. Um, I can see the attraction of that to the board to buy themselves some time to conduct the process in a more thorough manner. I think you do have a window now, at least of maybe two weeks. And also, as I say, you have that point where the Scandinavian seasons are, are still in the off season. I, I think we, we should guard against this kind of pick list of, uh, potential European managers, though, you know, our attractiveness in the whole scheme of things um, needs to be taken um, with an outsider's view, I suppose. You know, how attractive is this job to to somebody looking in? We're not going to get the next big thing. The best we can probably hope for is someone who was the next big thing three or four years ago, and we hope that they recover the um, the magic formula. Probably a little bit like Derek McInnes was. You know, he was obviously very highly thought of when he left Scottish football in the first instance, had a very damaging spell at uh, Bristol City and came back up here and expectations were pretty low. I cannot recall ever greeting a manager of appointment to Pataudry with a bigger shrug than I did when I heard that Derek McInnes was going to be appointed. But he turned out to be a success. Not... One without his failings again. That's not a topic that I'm going to revisit today, but um, that's that's the profile that I can see. Somebody a little bit damaged, somebody who has got experience of working in that model where he doesn't have control over the uh, the transfers at the club. Uh, somebody who has potentially had some success, but maybe not immediate success. I think with what you laid out there in terms of it's 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 maybe not marking the, the, the European manager front in relation to somebody from Scandinavia or although my, my, my myself with a predilection towards all things Scandinavian I would be delighted if we were um, looking at uh, serious players in that market. Um, but what what you just outlined from the Derek McInnes model or the we were saying before the uh, a person whose star was shining more brightly a, a number of years ago from a successful spell in Scotland went on to manage in England. Maybe if you maybe dare suggest Neil Lennon, you are barred from this I'm, podcast. It's it's a Neil, but um, I thought Alex Neil probably sits very squarely in that bracket. Yeah, he's a, he's clearly going to be in the conversations, and um, you know he was he was obviously briefly on the market um, when Stephen Glass was appointed and you know I think the the criticism at the time was oh he's just going to be another Derek McInnes appointment not and that that was seen as a criticism was very indicative of the times I think but you can understand that back then the desire for change the desire for something different the desire to shake things up so I think I think absolutely he will be uh, part of the thinking um, and you know perhaps may turn out to be a very good appointment. I, as I say, I think I think there's a tendency to reflect these the believed shortcomings of your your previous manager with the next appointment. And I, I think there will also be a temptation to um, continue the dalliance with um, some secondary leagues that we've done for player recruitment, for manager recruitment. After all, those data analysts have got to um, have got to justify their wage somehow. By by data analysts, do you mean the people that routinely play 
uh, football manager or uh... <laughs> after all of that Martin you still haven't got back to my original question did you think it was the right time for Barry Robson to go I think it got I think it got it got to the point where it was the time yeah I mean look we're, we're waiting to go into two games where um, we're waiting to go into two, two games that are going to be very difficult uh, you know I don't I, no, I, I don't see us getting anything on Saturday um, given you know past per- Past recent performances against them, um, I, and I, I, unfortunately, I couldn't see. It, I couldn't personally. I can't personally see it getting any be- get better in the short term, um, and so it was. You know, basically, it was time. Um, unfortunately, um, I would have loved it to loved it to be different. Um, but you know, when, when it's when it's time, it's time. Unfortunately, um, and. As Richard was saying earlier, you know, like there's, there's a lot of short termism in football. Um, you know, managers that don't get, you know, don't get, don't get this. You no, know, a a year. Like I mean, I know you said you know, you'd, you'd take twelve to eighteen months of of you know rebuilding or whatever. Um, I don't think I don't think any of you get ahead of you would ever get that, um, and certainly not at Aberdeen. Um, so unfortunately, I'm afraid it was the right time. Um, and so it's you know, thanks Barry, but time to move on. I mean, I know I said I wasn't going to put you on the name on the spot for a name, but next week because of obviously your Scandinavian football expertise, I am going to hit you for a name because you know, obviously you know we know find that you are a big fan of football from that region, so you better no. I'm, I, there's your homework for the next episode. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll put myself in for some hard research in the next few days yeah. and and obviously I know fine Richard will be furiously playing championship manager or football manager whatever it's called now over the next week to try and try and find the next Aberdeen manager in there as well but anyway so that brings the podcast to a close for this week week anyway um, yep um, a long discussion on Barry Robson there but um, one that I think needed to be done uh, certainly going to be an interesting few days uh, as I just mentioned there we've got a big a big game coming up at the weekend um, looks like Peter Levin may be in charge unless they bring someone in for the visit of Celtic um, on Saturday lunchtime. So um, that'll be that'll be an interesting one more to follow in that one. So, but until then, um, until next week, we'll be back with you um, with ho- hopefully a, a more brighter uh, podcast. Uh, thank you to Richard Hay. Thank you very much, Richard. Yeah, I'll unmute myself. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, Martin. <laughs> yeah, problem. And thank you, Martin. Yeah, thanks again. Hopefully we'll be speaking again in happier terms. Certainly will. But, um, you never know. Whenever we might we might dust off one of those debrief mini things um, to discuss a new manager. You just never know. We, 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 do, we, we surprise people around these parts. You never know. But until then, let's say Celtic on Saturday, um, onwards and upwards for Aberdeen. Until then, come on you Reds. Bring on the war, Nakiva. Ha <laughs> ha!